Bethlehem. This normally laid-back but hard-working rural community has been turned upside down. The hustle and bustle begins early today. Children are awakened by the sound of barking dogs and the braying of donkeys pulling overburdened carts. Local shopkeepers are making sure that they have all of their best wares in stock. Street merchants are scrambling to have the best spot on Bethlehem's few dusty streets. On this street corner right here, a potter and a weaver are arguing over whether the pottery or the cloth gets the best spot. Meanwhile, a metal worker is setting out a selection of his finest tools and implements. And if you look around down each street, doors are opening, people are moving, and the sun has yet to crest over the horizon of the hill. Caesar Augustus has done this town's economy a huge favor by issuing a decree that a census be taken of the entire Roman Empire. King Herod, the provincial puppet king of Rome, has decided to fulfill those orders by requiring that every male go to his hometown to register for birth. It's a stroke of genius, really, because you see, the Jews take great pride in their lineage. And by requiring them to return to the town of their birth, he he ensures the accuracy of the census. Because of this, the population of Bethlehem has swollen to twice its usual size. The, The merchants are salivating at the opportunity to make a few extra coins But perhaps the busiest person in town is the innkeeper. Every bed is filled. Every spot on the floor is occupied. Every mat, every blanket is being put to use. He's had to turn away many people, including one young couple last night who was expecting to give birth any day now. His wife asks about them at breakfast. He doesn't have time to be concerned. Chores have to be done. Animals have to be fed. Soon the inn's many guests will be getting up. He assures her that he will go check on them when he goes to feed the animals. Make sure they're all right. After all, he did what he could do. He gave them a spot in the stable free of charge. Most of those who didn't stay in the inn found room in people's homes or on their roofs. Yes, that was a thing, but I wouldn't encourage you to to have your guests stay on your roof this Christmas. That probably wouldn't work out too well. But most of them still had family and friends in town, and so this census had become the perfect excuse for a family reunion. And so all over town... People are gathering. They're sharing the latest news. They're they're talking about the memories of old. And big meals are being planned and prepared. In fact, if you look around, you can see the billows of smoke rising into the air 
as ovens are fired early to prepare all of the extra food. Despite all of the stories and memories being shared, there is no denying the real reason why these people are here. You see, there are other men in town. They are Roman soldiers. The Jews are none too happy with being under Rome's thumb. And so the soldiers are here to make sure that everything proceeds and that it does so in an orderly fashion. No unrest, no riots, no rebellion. Everybody registers and Rome gets her money. You see, the soldiers have a job to do and they're going to do it well because they are the pride of Rome. Rome's legions are a well-oiled machine. They have a strong chain of command and a deep sense of loyalty. So they're going to do their job. They know that people aren't happy with them being here. They can sense the resentment. They don't miss the looks of disgust as they walk by. They hear the whispered complaints behind their back. And if truth be told, they wouldn't be here themselves. Palestine. It's the backwaters of the empire. Nobody wants to be stationed here. Away from home. Away from the action. Away from the spotlight, the glory. And probably the promotions too. But they're Roman soldiers. And so they will do their job Along with the soldiers come some other men. They're not as intimidating as the soldiers, but they convey a powerful presence nonetheless. You see, you can tell them by their fine robes. Definitely not the clothing of Jewish peasants. And even the way they wear their hair conveys their aristocratic roots. And their features aren't the chiseled features of the locals. You can tell these are men used to wielding the influence and the power of their positions. And you see them working around the registration tables, making sure that everybody registers, keeping an eye on everything. It might be the soldiers who carry the sword. But it is a single word from these men's lips that will cause those swords to be drawn. You can see other figures lurking around in the background. And their robes are not the robes of political stature, but of religious piety. You see, they are the Pharisees and the Sadducees representatives of the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, just five miles to the north. And they are here to present a visible, if silent, protest. Sure, all the Jews hate Rome's occupation. But the presence of the Romans is especially distasteful to these men. Their deep religious sentiments are, are offended by everything the Romans represent. The soldiers 
the government officials, the taxes, and the idolatry they all support represents everything they hate about pagans and Gentiles. Sure, there's not much they can do about it right now. But they're biding their time, waiting patiently, knowing that God will reward their faithfulness. For they obey the law with a strict exactness. And they know that somehow, through them, God will provide means to overcome Rome. No, it's no ordinary morning in Bethlehem. But it's none of those things that make this morning extraordinary. Bethlehem, even though it's small, already has an extraordinary history. Did you know that Jacob's wife, Rachel, died right here in Bethlehem giving birth to Benjamin, one of the namesakes of the twelve tribes of Israel? Did you know that it was here where Ruth met Boaz and they got married and became a part of the royal line of David? And David, King David, was from here in Bethlehem. In fact, he used to watch sheep on those hills right there outside of town. And, and it was just over there where the prophet Samuel anointed him king of Israel. What's happened here this morning is more extraordinary than all of those things. Because today, in the town of David, town of Bethlehem, God has become flesh. Shouldn't be a surprise, really. The prophet Micah foretold many years ago that the Messiah would come from right here in Bethlehem. But think of it. God has entered the world as a baby. And there's no royal procession. The soldiers aren't here as a show of force on His behalf. There's no official announcement at the temple in Jerusalem. Or in the courts of Rome. In fact, there is none of the pomp and circumstance that should accompany the arrival of a king. Especially the king of kings. The ruler of the universe. But only a stable. Dark. Musty. Stinky. Stable. The odor of cows and sheep hangs heavy. The reek of manure fills the air. Cobwebs cling to the rafters. Mice scurry in the shadows. And the livestock seems only moderately concerned with their new human roommates. And the whimpers and the cries of the baby are lost amongst the mooing and baying a more 
unfitting place of birth does not exist. And yet, this, this is the abode of God. The voice that once hurled the stars into space, that once hung the planets in their places, has now been reduced to the cry of a baby. The lips that once created life with just a word now must suckle from Mary's breast just to find a few drops. And the feet for whom the entire earth is a footstool must now be wrapped in swaddling cloth just to stay warm. It's the most incredible event in all of human history except hardly anyone has taken notice. Only a few lowly shepherds have come to welcome the arrival of the King. They stand amazed and perplexed. It was only last night when an angel of heaven announced to them this good news of great joy. His brilliance was overwhelming. And then they witnessed as thousands of the heavenly hosts filled the skies and announced in the most glorious praise they'd ever seen or heard. And so the shepherds came here just like the angels said. Except it doesn't seem all that glorious. It's just a barn. Some animals. Baby wrapped in cloth. And lying in a feeding trough. And yet even as they wonder, their hearts, their hearts are filled with a strange sense of warmth and worship. Because there's something special about this child. This is no ordinary child. He's the Son of God. Why? Why did God choose such a humble entrance to come into our world? And why announce it to to mere shepherds, the lowest of the low class? Because God came to rescue us, even the lowest among us, even me. And if you want to reach down and help someone up, you have to lower yourself to do it. What God was doing. We all know how the decisions that are made in the halls of power actually do very little to help those that are in the Gutters and alleys of life. If you want to help someone in the gutter, someone has to go to the gutter. God knew that He couldn't solve our problems from the throne room of heaven. Somebody had to come where we were to help the spiritually poor He would have to go where we were. And the shepherds merely illustrated this fact that no one is too low to miss the grace 
for the love of God. Jesus gave up what he rightfully deserved. The power and majesty of heaven to give us what we by no means deserve. The power and majesty, glory and majesty of heaven. We've all heard stories of people who've gone to the greatest lengths to go from the bottom and to reach the top. But this is a story of the God who left the top and went to the greatest length to reach us on the bottom. He sent His own Son as one of us to live and experience life as one of us to face the same temptations and trials that we all face, ultimately dying on a cross in our place. He's gone to the greatest length to reach us. For God so loved the world that whoever Whoever, whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. The question is, do you have room for Him? Do we have room for Him? Or are we like the people of Bethlehem? more concerned with family and friends? Are we like the innkeeper and the other merchants in Bethlehem dominated by the demands of our job and and our career? Maybe we're like the soldiers. We're, We're just doing our job. We've got orders. Maybe we're like the Roman officials in pursuit of money power, influence. Or maybe we're like the religious leaders. We're too caught up in our own religious performance that we have forgotten about the God that we're supposed to worship. Are we like them? Or do we have room Do you have room? Is there room in your heart? Is there room in your life? Not just for a baby born in a barn. For your Lord. For your Savior. Christmas has become a time of year filled with many distractions. Some of you still have to-do lists that are quite long. Hopefully you've got all your presents bought. You'd be making that last-minute trip to Walmart. Food still has to be prepared. 
Stuff has to be cleaned up. Bedrooms made ready for guests. Our lives can become very much like Bethlehem was that morning many centuries ago. So much to get done. People to see. Things to do. Chores that have to be done. Religious causes to pursue. Power to exert. That we don't notice the most amazing, extraordinary thing happening right in front of us. Don't miss it. Don't miss what God is doing in your life. Don't miss what God is putting right before you. That which really matters. Because do you realize what you serve for for Christmas lunch or dinner? A few months from now, it really won't matter. What boxes get unwrapped tomorrow morning? It'll all be broken by next year anyway. Replaced by a newer model. Christmas is about something eternal. Something that lasts. We have to have room. You please stand as we sing our song of invitation and commitment. And that's my invitation. Have room. Make room for Jesus.